just we are recording now and let us begin so good morning and namaste everyone this is a tool and this is going to be the first session on jyotish i would like to begin with an invocation it is from the beginning of brihat parashara hora shastra gajananam bhuta ganadi sevitam kapitta jambu phalasara bhakshanam umasutam shoka vinashakaranam namami vigneshwara pada pankajam I bow down to the lotus feet of Vigneshwar Ganeshji, the offspring of Uma, the cause of destruction of sorrow, who is served by the Bhutaganas, who are the five, the predominating deities of the five Mahabhutas, who has the face of an elephant and who consumes the essence of Kapitta and Jambu fruits. So, we always ask invocation starting a course of study. It is good to have an auspicious invocation. And in particular, when we are trying to understand Jyotish, we always want to remember Ganesh because he is the person who must always be respected by anyone who is taking, undertaking the study of Vedic arts and sciences. Jyotish can be a difficult topic, and we want to try to start by giving an overview of the essential elements. So what is it about Jyotish? What is important? We want to understand the effect the planets have, and they have an effect whether you believe in them or not. And when we're born, at the time we're born, we have an, a hand of fate and there is a alignment of planets with our karma. What is the product of our past life and how we have come into this world? That is actually all revealed through a very condensed language of the positions of planets. So how does that work? That's the thing that we want to talk about. So some of the things that we're going to cover this is a fairly long presentation there's a lot of details some details i'm going to skip over a little bit um we want to give you an overview of jyotish we want to talk about the history and the lineage of jyotish we want to briefly talk about astronomy um, Let's talk about the philosophy behind Jyotish, some of the terminology. We'll talk about the five elements and the concept of Graha. We'll talk about the Kalapurush and Rashi and how this relates to the different parts of the body. We can talk about different chart styles. There's the South Indian versus North Indian. They take a different approach to laying things out graphically. What is the purpose of Jyotish? What are things we might use it for? What would be the role and the ethics of a Vedic astrologer or Jyotishi? How do we use Jyotish in Ayurveda? And you know, that's it for our introduction. So what's the overview? Jyotish is the science of light. Jyoti is light. 
okay? Uh, it's a traditional system of astronomy and astrology. It is a Vedanga. It's one of many limbs or appendixes of the Vedas. Um, history, it's generally considered to be uh, originating as early as 3100 um, before Christian era. Um, traditionally, we accept it as older. If you ask, you know, scholars, they'll have a different opinion, of course. They also, some of them still say that the Vedas were, um, Rig Veda was authored a certain, at a certain date. Um, there's more recent evidence that shows that that date may be considerably earlier based on references to the flowing waters of the Saraswati River, which has been shown to have been um, a river much farther in the past. Jyotish is a spiritual science. It's part of the Vedic way of life. Um, important texts, the uh, foremost is Brihat Parashara Hora Shastra. That is the book from which I read the invocation. Um, and Jaimini Sutras, there are only four chapters remaining of Jaimini Sutras. There are a lot of secondary texts as well. Um, for me personally, as a Jyotishi, the most important one is Brihat Parashara Hora Shastra. And um, I work with one Sanskrit translation, but I prefer to read the Sanskrit. I find that there's a lot of meaning in the Sanskrit that's not always given by the translation. There are many divisions in Jyotish. There is Surya Siddhanta, which deals with mostly astronomy and methods for predicting eclipses. There's Hora, which includes natal astrology, Jatak astrology, understanding the longevity um, and many other things, and Samhita. Samhita deals with things such as calculation of auspicious times as well as muhurta or you know what's the best time to undertake a particular type of activity. The main theme of Jyotish is karma. It's really all about your karma. You were born at a particular time and by the uh, Jyotish indications, we understand something about the karmic influences under which you were born. So this is a very important point. We want to understand the karma. And this is also why it sometimes relates to us as Ayurveda practitioners, because, you know, we said, uh, Ayurveda is holistic. It deals with mind, body, spirit, everything. And sometimes we look at the karma because of the three types of misery, the three kleshas, right? And understanding details of the miseries is the thing that we do through Jyotish. So what is the effect of karma based on time as our past actions come about? And Jyotish gives us some insights into the rules. Also, sometimes if there is a thing that may be caused, for example, if in a past life I have done something for which I am paying the price, sometimes there are things that can be done that will help mitigate the results of the types of suffering that we may be receiving. 
Our consciousness is always interacting. We are always experiencing results of past activities, and this has an influence on our current actions. Um, we are moved under the influence of tamas, rajas, and sattva, and this also causes us to be involved in other actions, which seed uh, the results of you know future effect. You can get very nice fruits, or you can get very painful and difficult fruits based on whether the seeds that have been sown are good or bad. We tend to get very focused on the outcome. We think that our actions are the results of our suffering and happiness, but actually <clears throat> karma has a very big part of it. An example is, you know, sometimes you look at someone who's say a film star um, and they seem to have everything. They're young, they're beautiful, they've got wealth, they've got the attention of other people. And then they do something that shows they're completely miserable, like they take an overdose of pills and they die. They, And, you know, people say, oh, what a tragedy. But in reality, this was the karma. If we are, you know, and in Western society, we tend to be very focused on action. Everything is all about, oh, I can do these things and I will make money. I will make money. No, you're not making money. You are creating a channel by which money can flow. You're just digging a ditch by which money can flow into your hands. It is that which you have, are meant to receive. Along with that money will flow whatever happiness and distress you were destined to receive. And that's the thing that you don't you get to change. You don't get to change the amount of happiness and distress that we're going to receive. Okay. Um, and our actions don't always bear fruit in this lifetime. We do get results out of some things and there's others that can take more than one lifetime to receive. So what's the lineage of Jyotish? So Sage Vasishta was a great uh, sage, also called a Brahmarishi. He was the guru to King Dasharat of the Ramayan. Um, and he had a uh, disciple also, uh, Parashara. Parashara was the father of Vedavyas. Um, Vedavyas is the author of Brihat Parashara Horashastra. Okay, so we accept the only real, the most authoritative written thing that we have is Brihat Parashara Horashastra. We do not have anything from Sage Vasishta, um, and it is from the Brihat Parashara Horashastra that we have the most authoritative um, text. There is also Jaimini, who is a disciple of Parashara, and he wrote Jaimini Sutras, but we do not have more than four chapters of that. Okay. So it's, it is a knowledge that has been received from an ancient line of sages. So we always honor and we respect this knowledge. And by giving respect to it, we should be able to uh, gain something. There's a quotation here from Brihat Parashara Horashastra that if someone is truthful and someone is, um, let us say they are um, dharmic in disposition. They respect the that there is a higher power. Okay, 
um, they should be peaceful in disposition. They should honor teachers and elders. And um, those are the persons who should learn Jyotish. And if we try to teach this to someone who's unwilling, who doesn't believe it, or who wants to use it for some other gain, this is not considered to give a good result. So Jyotish should only be learned by someone who will have some faith in it and respect for the topic. So how does it relate to astronomy? Um, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to explain this. This is the sun here in the middle, okay? And this is not to scale. Here's the earth orbiting around the sun, okay? The path that the earth takes orbiting the sun is called <coughs> the plane of the ecliptic, okay? So imagine the sun is, is following this path and it stays in a plane. This is the plane of the ecliptic. The zodiac is tilted with respect to the plane of the ecliptic. It's tilted about 23 degrees. So, um, and it's sliced up into pieces. As you can see, there's 12 sections and these are the signs of the zodiac. Now there is one view is the sidereal view by going by the position of fixed stars. The other is the tropical view, which is going to be somewhat different. So if you look at these dates, let's say, for example, okay, I was born early November. And that means that according to the tropical zodiac, I'm a Scorpio. What does that actually mean? Well, it means that my son was in Scorpio at the time I was born. But in Jyotish, we go by the sidereal zodiac. We go by the position of the stars and the sign is Libra, which is very different. Okay, Scorpio is ruled by Mars. Libra is ruled by Venus um, in Jyotish you know, my son is actually in a debilitated state in Scorpio. Sun would be quite different. We'll talk more about that later. Um, so, but this is a very important because, you know, people think of, oh, astrology. I read the newspaper column. If you were born in these dates, it means that you are a X. No, it means that's your sun sign. And it's not even your sun sign in Jyotish, okay? So ecliptic, zodiac, 12 divisions, also called a sign or Rashi. Um, and Western astrology uses the signs that are fixed to the point of the vernal equinox, the spring equinox. And it's focused on the sun and the movement of the earth around the sun. The tropical zodiac, and we use the sidereal zodiac, which is based on the movement of the sun and the constellations of the fixed stars. So it's the apparent motion of the sun as if the sun were going around the earth. And that's what we go by, okay? So just to sum it up, Jyotish uses the sidereal uh, zodiac, not the tropical zodiac. This is one major difference between the astronomy behind Vedic astrology or Jyotish and Western astrology. So let's talk about the philosophy 
behind Jyotish. Lord Vishnu takes the form as the grahas or planets. This is a quotation from Brihat Parashara Horashastra. The unborn Lord Janardhan or Vishnu has many incarnations and he has also incarnated as the nine planets to bestow on the living beings the results of their good and bad past activities. Um, and from uh, Surya, it is said that Surya is related to the incarnation of Ram, one of the ten avatars of Vishnu, from Chandra, that of Krishna, from Mangal, that of Narasimha, half man, half lion, from Buddha or Mercury, that of Buddha, that is not the same as the Gautama Buddha, but it is Buddha who is described as a, a Vishnu avatar. From Shukra, that of Parshuram, from Shani, that of Kurma, the tortoise, from Rahu, that of Varaha, and from Ketu, that of Mina, or the fish incarnation. All other incarnations are also through the Grahas. So this is an important philosophical point to understand. The planets are representatives of higher power. They are representatives of that higher power by which we receive the good and bad results. So remember, we talked about karma and we talked about the philosophy of karma and how our actions in this world, we do a job, we do things, we are creating a channel for the flow of receiving the things that are due to us, especially our happiness and distress. So yes, you can do a job, you will get a certain amount of money, and along with that money, you will get a certain amount of happiness and a certain amount of distress. Sometimes someone doesn't have a lot of money, but they have a lot of happiness. And sometimes someone has a lot of money and they have an amazing amount of misery along with maybe a little happiness. That is the way that karma works. But here it is described that the planets, they actually are representations of God. They are representations of Vishnu, <coughs> um, by which we receive results of our past actions. Um, I'm not going to go into detail on this slide. You know, there's some ideas here about, you know, how we live within a macrocosm. I'm going to sum this up very briefly. We live within a macrocosm. The planets represent different aspects of the macrocosm and they affect us. Whether we see it or not, the positions and influences of the planets affect us. For example, the moon cycle. The moon cycle is the most visible thing. It affects us physically because the moon is related to water um, and it is also related to especially the female reproductive cycle. You know, there is the, the, the monthly cycle. This is definitely related to the moon. There's alignment to the moon cycle. Um, now I'm someone who's very affected by the moon. I have one, you know, my most prominent planet is moon. I have moon and Mars are in the first house. 
which makes me a very intense person and I'm very uh, very mental and emotional in my work. I have to be very emotionally involved in my work. And I definitely get affected by the cycles of the moon. Um, there's even a word that's used in the English language, lunatic, for someone who is literally affected by the moon or mad based on the moon because there was the observation that some people who were, uh, you know, who had manic behavior or neurotic behavior would have their symptoms exacerbated based on the cycle of the moon. But this is true for all of the planets as well. Okay. Anyway, um, let's go on and let's talk about terminology in Jyotish. So bhava means our condition or state of being or state of mind. And these are the houses. So house is really not a great translation for bhava, but I think we need to switch and show some, um, some examples here. Um, that'll make it a little easier we have in some of the other slides. Um, the houses basically are a way of looking at the um, different parts of our experience. Let's see, where do we have our houses? So here you have um, a North Indian chart. This is the first house. The first house is always at the top of the chart. This is the second house, third house, fourth house, fifth house, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Um, do we have an example of an actual birth chart here? Um, no, let me bring that up. Um, so the houses are related to the uh, Panchamahabhutas, specifically fire, earth, air, and water. The um, first house, fifth house, and ninth house are fire houses. They are, um, the signs in there are related to fire and dharma. The second, sixth, and tenth houses are earth signs, and they are related to the concept of arta or gain. The third, seventh, and eleventh are air houses, and they are related to kam or sense enjoyment. The fourth, eighth, and twelfth are related to moksha, and they are connected with water. Rashi is the sign or the color of a house. There are 12 signs. So we'll explain this in just a minute. Um, actually, I'm going to bring up another presentation that has this. So here we go. All right. So here is a chart where the ascendant is Capricorn. Okay, that means the part of the zodiac that is crossing the horizon at the time of birth. So this, these are the houses: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and the uh, planets are in different positions. So here you have uh, 
Ketu in the second house, Mars in the third house, Venus and Sun are in the fifth house, Mercury is in the sixth house, Moon in the seventh, uh, Rahu is in the eighth, and Saturn and Jupiter are both in the twelfth house. So for everyone, this is going to be different, and the ascendant changes based on your time of birth. It changes very quickly. Okay. So these are the the houses are always in the same place in the North Indian style chart. We'll talk about the South Indian style chart later. Um, so the fire signs one, five, and nine. So let's look at this. So fire, in this case, Capricorn in the first house is fire. Also the fifth house, the ninth house. And then you have, what's the next one? The earth signs, two, six, and 10. So here, this is going to represent fire. And this is fire, this is fire. Um, and three, seven, and 11, air signs. Three, seven, and 11, representing air. And four, eight, and 12, water. So four, eight, and 12. So the nine planets, there are seven grahas and two chayagrahas. What are the chayagrahas? Let us talk about that. So um, without getting into detail, Rahu and Ketu are chayagrahas, okay? Uh, they are formed based on the position of the nodes, the place where uh, the place where the moon's orbit crosses the plane of the ecliptic. And why is that important? Because when the when Rahu lines up with the uh, with the um, full moon, you get a lunar eclipse where the Earth's shadow crosses the moon. Eclipses are a very important event in Jyotish because under the influence of eclipses, we do not do auspicious activities, activities that are meant to have an auspicious outcome we would never do under the influence of an eclipse. Similarly, solar eclipses also very inauspicious. When the new moon lines up with the uh, Ketu and the uh, we see that the moon comes in front of the sun and blocks the sun's light, people want to go see an eclipse because it's this cool thing that happens only rarely and people want to go and, and see it with their kids. We do not in Vedic culture want to see a solar eclipse. We do not want to see a lunar eclipse. And in fact, people will go during the time of lunar eclipse, they will engage in chanting mantras and doing other auspicious activities and avoiding putting themselves in contact with the inauspicious energy of the eclipse. And people will also, on the day of an eclipse, they will not uh, do activities which are meant to have a good outcome. There are also 11 upagrahas. These are mathematically calculated. So there are seven grahas. Um, 
you know, uh, Sun, Moon, uh, Mars, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn. And then you have these two shadow planets, uh, Rahu and Ketu. There are also 11 calculated or Upagrahas. Um, these are calculated points, but they're used in some predictions. Um, the grahas can be considered to be internal archetypes. So what do we mean by that? Let us talk about that. So um, the archetype means, for example, moon represents mind. Moon is the mind, the part of us that is feeling. Um, Mars is the part of us that is um, conquering, that does things, that goes out and engages in proactive things. Um, Jupiter is the part of us that is generous, that is contented. Saturn is the taskmaster. Saturn is the one that puts limits and restrictions and enforces discipline. Mercury is the very quick, uh, movable, going from place to place um, part. Venus is our sense of arts and culture and enjoyment. These are kind of the internal archetypes. And when we're looking at the grahas, these are ideas that we use to understand how the planets affect us. There are many stories in Jyotish from Puranas, Srimad Bhagavatam, stories about the greatness of Saturn, the story of the churning of ocean, which is also an origin story for Ayurveda, also is significant in terms of understanding things in Jyotish. So these are some of the terminology, these are some of the terms that are used in Jyotish. And it is really good to try to use the Sanskrit terms because English translations uh, such as house and sign, sometimes are a little nebulous. What's the Janmarashi? The Janmarashi is the birth sign. And this would be, um, many people will focus on the sign that the moon was in at the time of birth. So my moon, for example, was in Gemini, uh, Mitun Rashi. Um, Moon happens to be on the ascendant for me. I was born at 8.50 um, p.m. So that was, you know, the moon happened to be on the horizon at the time. Um, it's a very important thing. Also, the lunar nakshatra. We also divide the chart into 27 nakshatras. And the lunar nakshatra is very important. So nakshatra, we take the 360 degrees of the zodiac and we divide it into about 13.33 degrees. Whereas sine uh, is 12 divisions, which is 30 degrees each. Okay. Um, the Lugna is the ascendant. It's the place where the, um, the sign that is on the horizon at the time you're born. It's very important. This determines the first house. So again, looking at this example chart, this person was born where Capricorn was crossing the, uh, the horizon. <coughs> now, in 
calculating someone's chart. Sorry, I went the wrong way. Um, we want to get the time of birth because if you don't get the exact time of birth, you can have a difference in the Lugna. And if the Lugna or the rising sign is different, it changes the whole chart. How quickly does the Lugna change? About every um, hour and 45 minutes, the ascendant is changed. So if there is a five minute difference in the time of birth, it can change the Lugna. So people ask me for a consultation. I say, could you please try to find your time of birth as best you know it? Um, it really would make a difference. Someone saying, yeah, I was born maybe or sometime in the middle of the night. Well, there could be three or four different Lugnas there. And then I'll have to look at you, look at your face and see what Lugna may have been in play at the time you were born and what is most likely your uh, your Janma Rashi, your Janma Kundli. So Lugna is the rising sign. We sometimes call it the ascendant. We call it the Lugna. We call it the rising sign. We might also say, oh, my first house is Gemini. These are all true. They're all equivalent way of saying. I might say, I am a Gemini Lugna. I have Gemini rising. I have Gemini ascendant. My first house is Gemini. These are all ways of saying the same thing. Okay, and it's a starting point. It determines where all the houses are. There are 27 nakshatras or asterisms. These also can correspond somewhat to the idea of lunar mansions. Um, they are constellations that the moon goes through every day, uh, not just the moon, but other planets as well. And each nakshatra also resides in a particular sign. In, you know, we'll talk more about that. Nakshatras are very important because there are 27 nakshatras and it's a finer division than the sign. So, um, and although the nakshatras do cross some sign boundaries, there are parts of a, some nakshatras that are in one sign and parts in another. But the, um, the concept is that, uh, for example, I have, um, my moon is in Ardra, uh, which is nakshatra six. If I had been born at a slightly different time, then I might have been in um, uh, another nakshatra, like um, uh, number five, which is uh, Mrigashirsa. There are things that we can calculate. We can do a quick and rough calculation, for example, of the compatibility between two people based on their nakshatra. So having nothing but the nakshatra, you can get, a, there's, a, there's a system for calculating rough mental compatibility between two people. It is, a, it is an old system called the, um, the uh, Kuta, uh, also sometimes called the uh, Raju system. 
and it's a system for rough compatibility. That's not the only thing that we use in calculating compatibility. We also have to look at Mars. Why is Mars important? Um, I'm digressing here a little bit, but I want to I want to emphasize how important Nakshatra is. Uh, I worked on a project once. We had put together a site for doing Jyotish. And what we wanted to do was have a way of coming up with a very quick rough compatibility where you could, you know, find out your rough compatibility with other people, um, you know, based on your uh, predetermined preferences for gender and uh, age difference and see what the what approximately the compatibility is. And you can do that. You can calculate it in numbers and it comes down to a percentage like, you know, OK, well, you guys are 33 percent compatible. Hmm, that's really not a not a good one. Oh, 50 percent. That's workable. 60, 70 percent. That's pretty good. Uh, 90 percent exceptional. Very, very rare. You don't get higher than 92 percent compatibility in that particular system. It's not everything, but there's this other thing, which is Mars. Now think about two people who have a lot in common, who get along well, but their Mars, one person is going to be someone who will, uh, you know, who will quarrel with the other person. And the other person is someone who shies away from quarrel. There's an incompatibility in their approach to conflict, which can make a relationship unworkable. Um, this is called Gujadosh or Mangaladosh. Kuja and Mangala are just different names for Mars. Okay. Um, this is also another factor. That's another topic. We'll talk about that in detail in another. Okay. But it, at this point, we're just talking about terminology. I just wanted to help make clear the concept of Nakshatra. Drishti is the aspect, the gaze, who is looking at whom and where. When we talk about aspect, it's actually, we, we like to use the term drishti because it is based on, you know, the planets are uh, conscious entities and they are looking from one house where they reside, they are looking at another and they have influence on that house as well. So for example, in my chart, I have, uh, Moon and Mars in Lagna, Ascendant in Gemini. I have Jupiter and Saturn in Seventh. Now, Seventh House is directly across from the Lagna. That means that Moon and Mars are giving their full aspect to the Seventh House with Jupiter and Saturn. First House governs our appearance, our, the first impression that people have of us, um, our physical features, our face. Seventh house governs marriage um, and it at marriage and long-term relationships. Um, actually, we're going to talk about the different houses and different things they signify. But the important thing is that you have this drishti. There's a strong influence of Moon and Mars on the seventh house. There's also a strong influence of Jupiter on the Lagna. Moon and Mars tend to be a very fiery combination, someone who has a lot of mental energy 
and sometimes takes a very aggressive approach in their communication. Um, that is somewhat tempered by the Jupiter who is giving aspect and Saturn is also there. Saturn does not give as much um, Saturn does give the direct aspect, but Saturn gives more indirect aspect to the third and 10th houses. Um, that's a complex topic that we'll discuss later. But this is Drishti or aspect. Some planets are Saumya Graha and some are Gruda Graha. Saumya means gentle and Gruda means uh, cruel or malefic. Which are the Saumya Grahas? Saumya Grahas are um, Jupiter, Venus, uh, and sometimes Moon and Mercury, depending on what's going on with them. The Gruda Grahas are especially Mars, Sun, and Saturn. Now, Mars is a powerful planet. Mars is a planet of power. Think of Mars as kind of like you have a powerful engine in a motorcycle and it could drive you places it could accelerate like crazy and you could also get in a really bad wreck if you're going fast on a motorcycle right it's not giving you protection it's not giving you any sense of slowing down um, so Mars is a crudegra because it's the engine of our success. If you look at a person who makes a lot of money, who has a lot of success and career, Mars will be a very well-placed planet. It will have a good position, but that person also will, you know, sometimes they will take risks. They will sometimes do things that are a little outside the box, outside of their comfort zone. And Mars being prominent in someone's chart means they will, they will take risks, they will be pushed, they will not be comfortable, they will not be complacent. And that's why we refer to Mars as a Grurugraha. The concept of benefic and malefic, I believe, is somewhat misleading. And so I do not like to use those terms in talking about the planets. There are also relationships both to and from. Um, there, a planet, planets can be enemies or shatru and someone can be mitra or friendly and they can be also neutral. Based on the positions in a chart that you may have planets that are bitter enemies and great friends. Okay, um, let me, now very good question, uh, Zobeda. Uh, so the, what is it that makes a planet gentle? So for example, Jupiter and Venus are the most Salmya Grahas. They are always Salmya. Moon is somewhat variable. Moon is half the time it is Salmya, half the time it is Kruda, okay? But the uh, Salmya aspect of, let us say, Venus. So the best day to get married, for example, is Friday. Uh, Friday or even Thursday. These would be good days of the week. Saturday would be one of the worst days of the week to get married, which is, it's, it's I know, all weddings are always scheduled on Saturdays in the West. Why? Because Venus is... A, is is gentle it is going to have a benefic it's going to have a blessing effect it does not do 
harm, okay? Now, Venus is a planet of sensuality. Um, and Jupiter is a planet of blessing, of religiosity, of beneficence, of giving, of being kind, of being learned. And Jupiter never will do harm. But sometimes if Mars is very strong, it can cause us to be accident prone. If Jupiter is very strong, it can protect us from problems. Now, Sunday is ruled by the sun. Days of the week are is kind of a special category of talking about when we look at auspicious days. Sometimes Saturday might be a good day to do a thing, but we look at there is an entire branch of Jyotish called Mauhurtik. Mauhurtik uh, means that we look at the muhurt uh, and there are different aspects of the time the day of the week and the positions of the planets where is the moon specifically um, is there an eclipse going on so a Sunday might be a good day it in general for example Tuesday is ruled by Mars Tuesday is going to be in a, a somewhat aggressive day um, now, for me, Tuesdays are usually a good day to get things done. I have a very strong Mars. My Mars is with Moon, and I'm also getting good aspect from the Jupiter and Saturn, right? Um, and that kind of mellows things out just a little tiny bit. Um, so that helps me. But um, the if it, you know there's there's a question sometimes somebody says oh well my jupiter is debilitated so what does that mean it means that jupiter is less in a position to help you to give you blessings so that is the meaning of salmia versus krura all right well let's let's talk about the elements i hope that answers your question so um Agni Bhumi Nabastoya Vayava Kramato Dvija Bhomadinam Grahanam Chatvanita Yatakramam. So fire, earth, water, air, uh, fire, earth, space, water, and air um, are the grahas representing the different Ancha Mahabhutas. So Mars represents fire. Mercury represents earth. Jupiter represents space. Uh, Venus represents water and Saturn represents air. So, uh, you know, someone might think, oh, sun should represent fire. No, this is what it is given. Mars represents fire when we are talking about the Panchamahabhutas. So if, for example, Mars is in a bad place in the chart, um, this may uh, relate to problems with indigestion or problems with heartburn, with uh, acid reflux, these kind of things. Um, you know, having Mars in a particular placement uh, where it is going to be somewhat unfavorable, this is going to be an affliction of Agni, maybe indicated by Mars. 
Mars placement may also indicate when someone is accident prone and looking at other things, maybe Jupiter is in a position to give an aspect. We might do something that will help strengthen the influence of Jupiter because this will help reduce the tendency for um, the uh, injuries. I went through a point when I was in my Rahu Mahadasha and I used to uh, cook. I was very accident prone um, and I got a lot of burn and cut injuries. Um, and part of that was also just not having the benefit of age. As I got older, I got more experience. This also increased the influence of Saturn. Uh, Saturn is related to age and wisdom, and this brought down the hot burning influence of Mars. Okay, so Panchamaha Bhutas, Grahas. So I think this is, a, we're about at the end of our time here. So we're going to go through this. Um, so Surya represents different things. We talked about internal archetypes. Here's some of the details. So Sun represents Atma, the self, self-realization, influence, prestige, power, valor, health, eyes. Chandra, moon is our subconscious, our understanding, our intuition, inclinations, emotions, sleep, happiness. Um, Kuja or Mangal is Mars. It's our stamina, courage, desire, anger, scandal, diseases, enemies, uh, you know, and it's related to Pitta. Buddha or Mercury, intelligence, discrimination, speech, expression, education, learning, mathematics, logic, astrology. Um, it also rules intellect um, and discernment. Guru or Brihaspati, this is related to Kapha. Jupiter is heavy. It's wisdom, learning, uh, gaining weight, acts of religious merit, devotion, ancestors, holy places, scriptures, proficiency in learning. It also rules the liver. Shukra or Venus, um, spouse, marriage, sexual matters, sense pleasure, singing, poetry, music, sense, ornaments, jewelry, luxury items. Um, Shani is Vata. Shani um, rules longevity, life, death, adversity, calamities, disrespect, diseases. Remember I said Saturn is the taskmaster. People often look at Saturn and they say, oh my god, I went and saw a, a Vedic astrologer and they told me my Shani is this and oh my god, Shani, Shani, Shani is going to make Shani, if is Shani is well placed in your chart, it will make you wise. It will give you the hard life lessons that make you great. If you look at people who are respected as very great people who are very successful, Shani will have a prominent role in their charts. Why is that? because Shani is absolutely required for someone to become great, to have the discipline to actually uh, apply themselves and do amazing things in life. So, you know, Shani is, the, think of Shani as a planet of limitations and hard lessons. 
Rahu is the ascending node of the moon. Um, it's one of the shadow planets and it governs things like paternal grandfather, false argument, harsh speech, gambling, movement, traveling, outcasts, and so forth. Ketu is the descending node of the moon. Uh, it rules maternal grandfather, consumption, pain, witchcraft, mysticism, psychic abilities, and so forth. So these are the grahas and let's see, yes, Kalapurusha. We still have a little time. We can get a couple more slides in here. So the Kalapurusha is uh has the <clears throat> these are the different houses okay bhava one the first house is the head and this is related to the sign aries okay and here's another sign that shows this um related to the head uh the second is vrishab also the second house related to face and neck um, this is Taurus. The third, Mitunarashi, the arms. Uh, the fifth, fourth is Karkatarashi, related to the chest or heart. So if there's an affliction, for example, moon is the, if, let's say that someone had in the fourth house, if they had a planet that is severely afflicted, it could be an indication of problems with the heart, but it would have to be taken, it would have to be an indication of, let's say that Mars was badly placed in the eighth house and it was the Lord of the fourth house, you know, and now I'm using terms that have, we haven't really covered yet. But I'm just giving an example that could be an indication along with other things that uh, you know someone who is undergoing at a particular time perhaps in their Mars Mahadasha having some problems with the heart if they did not have other things mitigating and the other things mitigating there are many different ways that that may happen in Jyotish it is a very complex thing you cannot just take one little thing out of context uh, Singharashi is stomach. Now, let's say that someone has the, uh, in the fifth house, um, one has um, son who is debilitated. Uh, now, I have a debilitated son in the fifth house. This also leads to problems. I tend to have Vishamagni. Although I have a very strong Mars, I have strong Pitta, especially when I was younger, but sometimes I'll have variable digestion or Vishamagni. And that's because there is, it is a karmic thing with a debilitated sun in the fifth house. Uh, the sixth house is Kanya, uh, also Virgo, rules the hip region. Vrishtika, the genitals, I'm sorry, so Tula, the seventh house, the groins and, and sex organs. Um, the eighth house is related to the hidden parts, uh, reproductive organs, internal reproductive organs. Uh, ninth house is, um, and also Dhanurashi deals with the thighs, Makara, 
the 10th house deals with knees. Um, the 11th house and Kumbarashi deal with the uh, shins and ankles. And finally, the 12th house is the feet. So Kalapurush is representing different parts of the body which are affected, especially in different areas. So when we are looking at a what appears to be a karmic or chronic condition, we can look at the chart and we can see the indications of various planets to see if there are remedies that can be done for the particular affliction in various parts of the body. I mentioned earlier different styles and this I think will be our last slide. So this is the North Indian style of chart. The first house is always at the top, okay? And then we go around counterclockwise. This is the second house. What changes is what's the sign? What's the rising sign? What is the lagna? Okay, so it's fixed house and the, the bhava is tracked anti-clockwise. South Indian style has everything is always this position is always Aries this is always Taurus up to Pisces here and what's different is where is the ascendant so if let's say my ascendant is Gemini I would have a little line through this part here let's draw that and that would show that this is where my ascendant is got it so um, in the South Indian style. Now, personally, I use the North Indian style. There's also the East Indian style, um, which is more popular in Bengal. Um, and it uses a, a kind of a circular representation, which is sometimes made to look like a lotus flower. The Lagna is the rising sign at the time of birth, our first house. Planets can also be retrograde. Usually we'll write the letter R to show when something is retrograde. Let's see, we have this example chart here. Uh, do any, are any of these planets retrograde? Not in this, oh yeah, no, K2 and Rahu are always, Saturn is retrograde. So how is it shown here? It's only shown here. This is not showing the retrograde Saturn. Saturn is retrograde based on this little summary here. Okay, um, retrograde means that a planet is moving backwards in relationship to the normal movement that it has. What does that mean? It means that it makes it somewhat stronger. Think of the planets as uh, shining a bright light. Now, if something is shining a light, let's say there's a car and you're standing by the side of the road and cars are going by quickly with their headlights on very brightly. You're blinded by the headlight, but it takes less time. If the car was going very slowly, you would experience that bright headlight for longer. It would have more of an influence. Now that of course is a limited analogy because a bright headlight in your face would be very annoying. But the same principle applies that the planet moving more slowly is giving more of its emphasis, is, is giving more of its energy, okay? I also mentioned the horary astrology, the idea of asking questions. So um, there are, um, you know, 
many different forms of divination that are used that are related to understanding time because time has quality. This is a very important principle. So if someone comes, for example, and they come and it's very important when, when they have come, an astrologer will look at the time someone has come and if they're a really great astrologer, they will already know the question the person's going to ask. It is already indicated by the planets. Um, it's a very subtle thing and it is difficult. I cannot tell you there's a formula for doing that, but great astrologers do that. My Jyotish Guru would be able to do that. He would know uh, if someone came, he would know what the problem was. He would know what the remedy was. Um, and he would he would know also what was the person's situation, whether they were a poor person or rich or in between. Um, and he would, uh, but he would still ha let them, you know, talk about their problem and tell it um, so that he could go through the motions of calculating and they would have more faith in what he was saying. But he would already know um, what was the problem when they came. Time as quality and asking a question. Um, sometimes we use this method to understand the um, the outcome of something. So uh, that is that's as much as we we're able to cover today. I hope that's been interesting. I know there's a lot of information that we've thrown out there, um, and this uh, this lecture is up there in the AC 112, as well as this other one. Uh, this is an older presentation. It's very, very simple, and it's got kind of the real basics, um, very, very basic ideas, um, and what the house is, the signs, same information that we've covered. Um, it's just a little bit more basic. All right. Um, let's stop there and thank you very much. I will hand things back over to Munjulali. I don't know if she has anything else planned. <laughs>